But after 70 sermons, three and a half years, All right. and I don't know what 70 times, maybe an average of 50 minutes of sermon, how many minutes that is or hours that is. <laughs> See, you said 50 is generous. 60 minutes sermon, so I heard that. Just for that, we want to increase it by 10 to this point. Well, after a long time in Matthew, this 28 chapter massive book highlighting Jesus Christ, we have come this morning to the final few verses. I pray it's been a gift, all right? Because we had to walk through books of the Bible, and I pray that it's been an edifying time. It surely has been an edifying time reading this word. Studying this word, preaching this word, I pray it has been the same for you. I've enjoyed the, the feedback you've given, the insights you've given, the, uh, the, the encouragement you've shared from God's word, because the word does that. Yes. The word always does its work. And so uh, we labor through books of the Bible. We labor through hard passages, trusting that they will yield gold. Mm. And so we're going to continue to study God's word this morning. Next week, Lord, when I want to try to take wrap this whole thing up, and take this entire book of Matthew, all 28 chapters, and preach one single sermon as an overview of the book, right? And then we'll be done and move on to another book we'll try to wrestle with uh, in a few weeks, the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? And this morning, we'll look at a familiar passage, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, a passage that's been labeled the Great Commission, and we find it in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We read now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I just noticed this, uh, the repeated word of all in this passage all authority in heaven and earth given to me so therefore go make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe all that i have commanded and i will be with you all the time jesus christ is showing his expansive rule over everything in this passage and it's causing us to look at that rule and to worship and to act like jesus rules the world and so here's the the main idea of these five verses or four verses, the main idea of our passage this morning. King Jesus rules over all the earth and has commissioned us to spread his kingdom reign throughout all the earth. King Jesus rules over all the earth and has commissioned us to spread his kingdom reign throughout all the earth. As we walk through these few verses together, we'll hang our thoughts on two 
points in this survey. Number one, the king's rule. We said in verses uh, 16 through 18. And point number two, the king's commission. We said in verses 19 through 20. So two points, the king's rule and the king's commission. Number one, the king's rule. And this passage begins with the 11 disciples going to meet the risen Jesus. It's striking in, in this opening verse there, in, in, in verse 16, is the number of disciples. Hmm. 11, not 12. Hmm. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, is dead, and now only 11 remain. Hmm. I think it's something of a subtle warning to us. It's not how you start, All right. but how you finish. Hmm. Or if you finish. Mm. Discipleship, as we'll talk about discipleship in, in, throughout this passage, discipleship is for all of life. All right. And some don't make it. Mm. Some turn away from Jesus prematurely, thinking that his call to follow him is too hard or too restrictive or too mundane. And so they don't stick around and make it to see Jesus Christ in his glory. Mm. These 11, however... Uh, as much as they follow Jesus imperfectly, are still following him. Amen. And will be rewarded in this passage with an incredible vision and an incredible mission. Mm. Friends, perseverance in the faith always pays off. Yes. You will never be disappointed for continuing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Discipleship to Christ always has a reward. Yes. The disciples have followed Jesus' directive here to go and meet him in Galilee. Um, amazingly, before he was crucified, Jesus predicted back in chapter 26, verse 32, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Hmm. And earlier in this chapter, the women who first saw Jesus' empty tomb and who first saw him raised, were twice instructed in verse 7 and in verse 10 to tell the disciples to go to Galilee where they would see Jesus. And here in verse 16, we read that the disciples obeyed that instruction. They've gone to Galilee. And verse 17 says they saw Jesus. The one who'd be, been brutally beaten and who'd been crucified. The one who died and was buried. The disciples now see him alive. Hmm. The, the women had witnessed him. You know, the men, we sometimes slow it in our systems to catch on to, to spiritual things, right? Hmm. I mean, you, you read the, the accounts and, and some of the gospel accounts, right? Uh, the sisters go telling the brothers that Jesus is alive. And, and they're like, nah, he ain't really alive. Hmm. Well, now... The disciples see the Lord Jesus Christ risen up from the grave with their own eyes. All right. You know, Hollywood tries to, to, to minimize or normalize this kind of stuff, right? I mean, Hollywood is, has so kind of flooded movies and TV shows with, with zombies that you feel like dead people are always walking up out the grave. But let me tell you, this is not a normal occurrence. All right. There is nothing ordinary about someone coming back from the dead. It is altogether extraordinary, and only one person has ever done it of his own power. All right. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And he was no zombie. We'll see the Lord Jesus Christ in here speaking. We see him in other gospel, gospel passages eating. He is a living, breathing, real person who is resurrected and glorified. Yes. And so rightly, when the disciples see the risen Jesus, they worship him. I mean, that's the right response to God. And the response the women first show when they saw Jesus resurrected. The response the disciples here show when they see Jesus Christ up from the grave. As we noted last week, Jesus doesn't deny worship. He doesn't reject worship. He accepts worship. Because men and women are created to worship God. Yes. And Jesus Christ is God, the eternal son. Yes. The end of verse 17 tells us that some doubt it though. The word doubt there doesn't, doesn't mean intellectual unbelief. A better translation, you see the word again in, earlier in Matthew, in, in Matthew 14, when Peter was walking on the water and, and Jesus said he, he doubted. Wait, he hesitated to, to keep walking because he, he looked down. Right? The, the word hesitation is probably a better definition for this word, a better translation for this word doubted he. That they, they hesitated. And Matthew doesn't tell us exactly how or, or why they hesitated. But given the brutal nature of his death and what they were now seeing with their eyes, it's understandable that some were slower to fully process it all, to know exactly how to respond. Again, this was no normal occurrence. Right? Right. These weren't just gullible disciples who's like, oh yeah, of course we're going to worship him. No, no, they were understanding that this is totally different. So some of them were slower to respond. But then Jesus responds. Isn't it kind of the Lord that when we sometimes struggle to understand who he is and, and what we should do, that he just says, move out the way, I'll show you what to do. All right. All right. While there's something to understand how to respond, Jesus Christ himself speaks. Yeah. In verse 18, giving them full reason to worship, making full acknowledgement of who he was and why he deserved and demanded worship. Not just from these 11 disciples on this mountaintop in Galilee, but from every single living person on the entire planet. As Jesus opens his mouth with the disciples' eyes wide open, Jesus Christ says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth, in every realm possible, has been given exclusively to me. Saints, Jesus Christ has all rule. Amen. All authority. He has all authority over all things. I wonder how often we've, we've read this familiar passage. And, and skip right over verse 18 and jump straight to the command in verse 19. But to do so is to presume far too much about who we are or what we can accomplish. As if there's some inherent or independent power that we have to change the world. No, as is the case with much of scripture. It's important to dwell on the indicatives before we get to the imperatives. All right. It's important for us here to dwell on this indicative statement of fact of verse 18. Before we get to the imperative statement of command in verse 19, it's important to reflect on what has been done before being told what we must do. And what has been done, all authority has been given to Jesus. 
not your perceptive, you, you might have some questions about the wording of that. Hey, hasn't Jesus always had authority? I mean, don't us Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he exists eternally? Doesn't the Apostle John in his gospel tell us that Jesus created all things and that nothing exists that he did not create? Earlier in this book of Matthew, hasn't Matthew told us, haven't we read over and over that Jesus had authority? I mean, we read that Jesus had authority in his teaching. He had authority on earth to forgive sins. He had authority over sickness to heal people. He had authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons. He even had authority over nature to calm a storm simply by speaking to it. So, so what does it mean here when he says that all authority has been given to me? Well, in no way is Jesus denying his deity that he hasn't had authority all along. And in fact, at the end of the next verse, we'll see Jesus Christ emphasizing his equality with the Father and with the Spirit as the eternal Son. The three persons in one Godhead, all possessing divine power and divine authority. But in his incarnate state, the man Jesus Christ had to accomplish something for men. Hmm. There was a power that needed to be defeated. All right. And he was sent by God the Father on a mission to dethrone this seemingly unconquerable power. Hmm. To give a brief overview of the Bible, at the beginning, the, the first man, Adam, mm -hmm. was created by God and given dominion, given authority over the earth to serve as a kind of vice regent under God. But you know the story. Tempted by Satan, Adam sinned. He rebelled against God, seeking to be his own ruler. As a result, the, the, the entire world, including you and me, was subjected to sin and the power of the devil. Oh, as First John verse, chapter 5, verse 19 puts it, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Yes. It's into this world, under the temporary reign of Satan, that the Son of God stepped in. All right. He stepped into, as 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 puts it, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Jesus came pronouncing that a new king is here. All right. And a new kingdom is here on earth. The kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus lived the perfect life that the first man, Adam, failed to live. And then he laid down his life and through his death, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 tells us, he destroyed the one who had power over death the devil, and he delivered those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Mm. When Jesus rose from the grave, a yeah. victory had been won over sin and over Satan. He, as Brother Warner preached on Good Friday, disarmed the rulers and authorities yes. of this present world. Yes. He put them to open shame and triumphed over them in the cross. Yeah. Having accomplished his mission on earth, the Father exalted the Son. Mm. And gave him All right. the name that is above every other name. That the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that he alone is Lord. So that now here on this mountaintop in Galilee. This risen Jesus, God in the flesh, can rightly proclaim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
and to me alone because no one else has done what Jesus Christ has done. He has victory. Yes. Or maybe you're here this morning and victory, though, is, is the furthest thing from your mind. Or maybe you're crushed by the weight of your own sins or your own failures this past week. These temptations in your life, they are what seems to keep getting victory. They keep winning over and over again. Or maybe the news of more devastating shootings this past week in Louisville. Or the reports and, and your own experience of increasing crime in our community. Maybe they, they, they all kind of combine to convince you that evil is too rampant and the world is haywire, spiraling out of control. Hmm. Maybe life circumstances have you bemoaning and despairing of life itself. You thought you'd be in a different situation by now, in a different season by now. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you've tried everything there is to bring you a sense of relief, a sense of peace, a sense of contentment, a sense of happiness. But there's still this huge hole of emptiness that resides in your heart. There's still this stubborn longing for something else and something better. There's still this lifelong question, what is the point of life? Well, this very day, in this very passage, the Lord Jesus is directing all our hearts and all our eyes to the same place to focus on him. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the hope that we all desperately yeah. desire. He is the writer of all wrongs, the reverser of all fortunes. He is the one that has everything in check and he is using everything for his own purposes. Amen. And he has an ultimate plan that cannot be altered or destroyed or thwarted. And he has come to do what he set out to do. All right. He's a ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He's purchased for himself a people and won for himself a kingdom. He's calling all of us to turn from our sins and put our trust in him that we might come into his kingdom. An everlasting kingdom where there be joy and peace and happiness. And in coming to him, he fulfills our deepest desires for purpose in life. Which ultimately is to know him and to make him known to others. And he now commissions his people, all his people, to spread his kingdom reign abroad. Which leads us to point number two, the king's commission. The king's commission. Having established his sovereign authority over all the universe in verse 18, we read Jesus giving the following command concerning all people, starting in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. You may have heard this before, but the main verb there in verse 19, you see it very clearly in the original text, is not the most obvious one. At first glance, you might conclude that Jesus' main charge to the disciples is to go. But really, the heart of the command is what they are to go and do. To go and make disciples. Right? I mean, just as you might go tell your child, well, go take out the trash. 
Well, if your child simply leaves your presence but does not take out the trash, All right. either they misunderstood your command or outright rejected it. In the same vein here, Jesus' intent is not simply that we go. Go do something. But, but then as we go, we go proclaiming his kingdom. Amen. We go making citizens of his kingdom. We go making disciples of Jesus Christ. And begs the question, well, what is a disciple? I mean, we, we use these terms over and over. Well, what does it mean? What is a disciple of Jesus? Well, at this most fundamental level, a disciple is simply a learner. And discipleship is learnership. In the scriptures, we read that the Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. But here, Jesus is calling his disciples to make disciples, to make learners of him. In fact, in Matthew's gospel earlier, we read Jesus expressing the same charge when he tells a crowd in, in, in chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Amen. But this type of learning isn't merely intellectual. It's learning a new way of life from the one who is the very source of life. One old author describes it this way. To, describe, to disciple a person is to bring him into the relation of pupil to teacher, <coughs> taking his yoke of authoritative instruction. Accepting what he says is true because he says it. All right. And submitting to his requirements as right because he makes them. <laughs> Being a disciple of Jesus means having new priorities, yeah. new commitments, mm -hmm. new loyalties, and new loves. Mm. I mean, these disciples do that well. It costs them houses and families and occupations to follow Jesus to devote themselves to learning his way. And here was Jesus commanding them to go call others to this same way of life. And not just here in their hometown of Galilee, but among all the people groups of the world to make disciples of all the nations. You see, Jesus' heart is as big as his authority is broad. All right. As his authority is over all the earth, so Jesus wants disciples from all the earth. He doesn't just want disciples who look like him, fellow Jews. He wants people of all ethnicities, of both genders, male and female, of all languages and cultures. I mean, the, the call way back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, that in him, all the families throughout the earth would be blessed. Call was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, mm. through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. Yes. With the greatest blessing of all, free salvation through the gift of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us. Free salvation and the sanctifying life that follows yeah. in the life of becoming a disciple of Jesus. You see, part of what it looks like for us to follow Jesus is to have our love and our lives as big and broad as his. Hmm. Uh, we want our hearts to care not just about people like us, All right. but to long for people unlike us, hmm. to long for people thousands of miles away from us to know the same Lord Jesus as us, yeah. to be rescued from God's wrath and to know Christ's saving grace.
And we want our lives calibrated to the reality of Jesus' global rule. Nobody is beyond the Lord's reach. Amen. Because he has all authority all right. over all the world. Therefore, there's no people or no place too dark that the Lord Jesus can't shine his light upon. Amen. There's no country too closed for the one whose tomb is empty. Mm. Every people group and place is right with people ready to be made disciples of Jesus. Now, do you believe that? When you look out in Temple Hills, you see the young boys driving around in stolen cars. Maybe your stolen car. <laughs> when you hear all the reports about Southeast, right? The South with the F, you know. Do you think, first thought, those thugs are irredeemable? Or do you think those boys are right to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Ready to be made disciples. When you see the images of, 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 on TV of terrorists or would-be terrorists. When you hear the, the, the stories about some of the, the most vicious criminals. When the statistics tell you about the most crime-riddled areas. When the missiologists uh, talk about uh, the, the most unreached places, the 99% closed country. Do you think, oh, well, we got to sit back on that one. Or do you think the Lord has cracked open every single possibility with that cracked open tomb? Hmm. That all authority is given to him. Yeah. And so I can go anywhere and trust that the Lord who rose from the grave is going to do some things wherever he sends me. Amen. Amen. Everybody is right to be ready to be made a disciple. But what does it involve? Right? What does it mean to make disciples? What it tells us, go make disciples and notice the kind of two participles that kind of follow it. How do we make disciples? What does it involve? Make disciples by baptizing and teaching. You see that there in the text, right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm. Baptism comes after people are converted. And people are converted through the proclamation of God's word. Amen. And God's word is proclaimed as people go somewhere and tell people the proclamation of God's word. And you know, one step beyond that, behind that, people go to proclaim God's word that God uses to make converts and those converts are baptized. Behind the proclamation is what we'll do this evening is prayer. Pray for the Lord with sin laborers. Those laborers are prayed for and they go proclaim. And as they proclaim, the Lord saves. And as those saved, the Lord Converts and then baptize. I mean, that's the pattern we see in, in, in the Bible. In, in Acts 2, pre Peter preaches the word. These people who once hated Jesus are convicted from the heart. And they ask, what shall we do? And they respond in repentance and faith. And that repentance and faith is demonstrated by baptism. Amen. But what can we possibly learn about following Jesus from baptism? I, I mean, to look at it all from a purely world uh, worldly perspective or point of view it seems rather foolish for grown folks to show that they follow Jesus by jumping into a tub of water <laughs> or rather being dumped into a tub of water that is so stupid it's so primitive and childish, so uncivilized and it would be if baptism were only a matter of getting your bodies wet alright 
we must understand what baptism signifies and why Jesus insists upon baptism as a primary and initial way of identifying as a disciple of him. We're told elsewhere the symbolism of baptism. In Romans 6, the apostle Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Mm. Baptism is a symbol. As our bodies are dipped down into the water, it symbolizes our death to sin, our death to our old way of life, our identif identification with Christ, Jesus Christ, in his death. And, and as our bodies are, are raised up out of the water, and brought back up out of that water, it, it symbolizes our resurrection. Mm. Our being raised with Jesus Christ from the dead. Yeah. A baptism is a picture of our death and our burial and our resurrection in union with Jesus. The old you is old. Mm. There's a new you that you're supposed to walk in. Yeah. It's a renouncing, baptism is a renouncing of your old way of life and a pledging allegiance to God alone. Mm. And that's what it means to be baptized in the, the name, the singular name of Father and Son and Spirit. So Jesus here is saying that his mission involves calling men and women, boys and girls of all nations and all nationalities and all people groups and all languages and all cultures to learn to do one thing at the very outset of following him. Right. To die. All right so that they might live. That's an offensive message. It smacks against the pluralism of Western society where whatever you believe or don't believe is just fine. Your truth is your truth. There are no objective rights or wrongs. It smacks against the supposed monotheism found in Jewish and Muslim cultures. It is in essence telling everyone everywhere that the way that you have been living is wrong. That your living isn't actually living at all. That you need to die to self. Die to self-righteousness. Die to self-sufficiency. Die to your own selfish ambitions and desire. And that you need to identify with the one and only sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who in his death died for the sins of all those who would turn from their sins and trust in him. And was raised up for our justification that we might be declared righteous with God. It's the type of narrow thinking that the world hates about Christianity. This exclusivity. But it's what our Lord has called us to, to teach all the people groups, all the nations indiscriminately, that there is indeed life to be had, but you've got to die to get it. But it's not far off because one has died for you to give you this eternal life. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Go proclaim his name and baptize in his name. It is a narrow message from the very beginning from the Lord Jesus Christ because no one else will save you. You see, this is an offensive message, but actually it's a loving message. Right? Why would we tell anybody else it's okay to stay in your religion? It's okay to stay in your sin. When we know what it's going to lead to, which is hell, we want to baptize 
people and make converts of people and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to people because we want people to live. Amen. He baptizes, people are converted. And this initial kind of death to life symbolism of baptism that marks the entrance into the Christian life, right? That marks the beginning of being a follower or a learner of Jesus is to be followed by then a life long of learning to obey Jesus' commands. And we see that in verse 20. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but teaching them to obey or observe everything that I have commanded you. Now you've heard it before, but it's true, right? We're not called to, to make decisions, but to make disciples. All right. Jesus Christ is not interested in flash-in-the-pan conversions. Hmm. Christ don't care about the number of, of people who walked an aisle. Right, Jesus Christ is not interested in the kind of numerical growth of a church if the numbers don't add up to the following fruitfulness for years. All right. So Jesus doesn't care about just kind of the initial ascents. Jesus doesn't even care about the initial act of baptizing. I mean, how many people in our family have been baptized and are kind of still banking on that baptism even though they live a life that's totally opposed to God? No, Jesus says that initial walk down the aisle needs to be followed up by a walk for, for years on end of following Jesus. That initial death that was symbolized in the water of baptism is to be followed by a continual taking up the cross daily and dying to self. Right? It's an ongoing thing. Jesus is after lifelong followers whose lives will be continually transformed as they learn from him. We learn to obey everything that he commands. Amen. You understand that, right? right? Not just a portion of what Jesus said. We don't get to cut out parts of the Bible. All right. Right? Jesus said, you need to obey everything that I've told you. That's why we've taken three and a half years to slowly walk through Matthew's gospel because we can't miss nothing. All right. Right? What he said in chapter 3 is still binding all the way here in chapter 28. All right. What he says in Genesis is still binding now. Right, what, he, what he said in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the new. It don't mean you can just throw away the old. Right? It means that you follow the old in the new. Right? You follow as, as Christ has redefined and recommitted us to what the law pointed to in him. Right? It, it doesn't mean that you get to live life your own way. It means that we need to open up the Bible and turn to the Lord to, to instruct us, Amen. to command us. That's why we open the Bible on Sunday mornings and slowly walk through books. That's why we open up the Bible on Wednesday evenings and slowly walk through books. That's why we encourage you to read the Bible on your own so you can learn what the Lord commands. Everything that he commanded must be learned. But not just learned, everything that Jesus commanded must be obeyed, must be observed, must be kept. We don't like that language, do we? To, to obey commands. Right, as much as we might love language of God being sovereign over all things and all people, sometimes by the way we talk and the way we live, that all things includes everything except me or my life. God is sovereign over all the world, but when it comes to what I want to do, God ain't got no control over all that. I give him a portion. He gets Sundays. He might get my career, but he ain't get my relationship. Right? He might get my uh, obedience to my parents, but he ain't getting my submission to my husband. Right? He, he, he might get my 
my gentleness to, to, to a dear sister at church, but, but he ain't getting my gentleness to my wife. Mm. Like Jesus is commanding us to obey everything Amen. he commanded. Sometimes we categorize that stuff, don't we? But we have a rebellion that pushes back against Jesus' authority. Where does that show up in your own life? This kind of stubbornness. This kind of refusal to submit. This kind of rejection of Christ's commands. That would be a, a, a good question to talk about over, over lunch this afternoon. A, a good conversation I have with friends to, to help you to, to pull out things and to, to help you to, to pursue holiness in these areas. Where does that kind of rejection show up in your life? Mm -hmm. You know, often I think it shows up, quite frankly, in our rejection of God's command right here in Matthew 28, 19. I mean, we hear about making disciples of all nations, and we can affirm, oh, yeah, it's in the Bible, so it must be right. And yet we can search for and find all kinds of loopholes and excuses of why this isn't the season for me to make disciples. Mm. Mm. Or why all the nations isn't really on the table for me right now. I mean, I got a mortgage, a house I got to take care of. Or I'm a new believer. I still got time to grow, I need time to grow. Or I've got small kids. Mm. Or I've got kids about to go to college. Or I'm just a kid. Mm. <laughs> or I've got a sweet career. Or I'm at the end of a career and I'm looking towards retirement. We always try to find some kind of loophole often to say that this is not clearly for us. Mm. Mm. We can easily either default on this command to make disciples of all nations or define it in terms that suit our current status and our current comfort levels. But when we became Christians, what do we think that we became? We became those who gave up our own rights and committed ourselves to obeying everything that Jesus commanded, Amen. including this command to make disciples of all nations. So, so what does that look like for us? Well, it doesn't look the same for everybody, right? But what does it look like for us? What does it mean to obey this command? How should we interpret this, this great commission? Well, I think the best way to, to, to see how, how to understand this and obey this is to look at how the original recipients understood this command. How did these 11 disciples on the mountaintop of Galilee understand this commission from the crucified and risen Christ? One might think they immediately start Start brainstorming and, 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 and planning in and, and, and some kind of all-night meeting. Everybody putting their best ideas forward, their creative ideas forward on how to accomplish this mission in the shortest amount of time possible. And maybe they tally up, okay, how many nations are there in the world? Mm. There's 11 of us, how many nations? <laughs> maybe they identify each other's strong points and they start divvying out territories and plotting out timelines for completion. I mean, some, some of that is kind of how we would understand this commission, right? Some of us have programmatic pragmatism just kind of hardwired into our beings. We, we would do SWOT analysis, our strengths and weaknesses tests. We take spiritual gifting tests. We see which region had the best weather, right? 
I'll take Jamaica. <laughs> Who else got Russia? <laughs> we would have developed a, a, a little manual or, or playbook of all the basic questions and topics that needed to be covered once we got to a certain people group. And then developed a timeline for an exit strategy to go to the next group until all the nations were reached. But how did the disciples take this command to make disciples of all the nations? They started a church. The book of Acts opens up telling us that in the next chapter, after Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and a local church was birthed, with those who received the word being baptized and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey was exactly what the disciples were doing in the context of a local church. They understood the Great Commission not to be about randomly going, but about intentional disciple making in and through the local church. Amen. They understood this mission not to solely be their own mission, but to involve calling people to repent and believe in Jesus and to come together on mission with them to make more disciples of Jesus. Right? There's no such thing as a kind of a lone wolf Christian, right? It's all the Bible, especially the New Testament, is people-shaped, right? It's church-shaped. And it's not like this is a misunderstanding of what Jesus wanted. Because earlier in this Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself said, I will build my church. Yes. Yes. He didn't say, I will build my parachurch disciple-making ministry. <laughs> He didn't say, I will build you up to be the most incredible personal disciple and disciple maker in all the planet. Jesus said, what I will do, though, is build a group of people together. Yeah. I will build my church to go to all the nations and wherever they go, the gates of hell cannot prevail against them. Mm, the church is Jesus' vehicle for making disciples of all the nations. Amen. The disciples understood this mission to make disciples to be the mission of the church. And the task of baptizing and teaching people to obey Jesus' commands to be most naturally carried out within the context of a local church. Because it's in a local church where we help each other learn from and submit to and follow Jesus. Amen. That's what Brother Tim was, was teaching this morning in, in, in Sunday school class. I mean, it might sound spiritual to say, I'll follow Jesus wherever he takes me. Mm, mm. But if you're not following Jesus where he has you, All right. you are fooling yourself. Perhaps God is calling you to make disciples in Thailand or in Tanzania or in Tajikistan or in Tunisia. Those would be wonderful things to pursue, but the Lord has definitely called you to make disciples and be discipled in Temple Hills. Amen. All right, the two aren't to be pitted against one another, one better than the other, but, but clearly I'm just saying you won't do there, wherever there is, what you're not doing here. All right, all right. Dear friend who's a, who's a missionary and has served in several countries uh, says that an airline ticket don't make you a missionary. Mm. Right, so mm. you punch that ticket, you think, well, when I get there, then I'm gonna start telling people about Jesus. You ain't told your folks in your own community about the Lord. You can go tell people you ain't never known about Jesus Christ. And then there's a consistency that that begins within and then spreads without. Amen. 
discipling the nations starts with discipleship in the local church. In this local church. And so says, I hope you don't view Temple Hills Baptist Church as just a preaching point. Somewhere you parachute in on Sundays to get good doctrine and get a good word and then go the rest of the week and like, okay, I'll come back next week. No, the Lord in his divine sovereignty has saved you and has intentionally placed you in fellowship with this specific group of people for this specific time to encourage and edify and strengthen and rebuke and correct and train and teach one another. Amen. To disciple one another. And as this culture of discipleship takes root and sprouts up, it has to spread out. Beyond the walls of this building into the walls of your home. Where you model and teach what it looks like to be a godly husband or wife. To be a godly child. To tame your tongue when your temper is rising up. To control your anger. To exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in every moment. Mm. And out from your home, it, it, this discipling goes out into the streets or should go out to the streets. And the avenues and the courtyards and the complexes of our community. And then over into other neighborhoods and cities in our country. And then across jurisdictional borders and into other states and across borders and oceans into other countries. Spreading into marketplaces and businesses and hospitals and schools and orphanages and villages and fields and barrios and favelas of every people group on the planet. Mm. Making disciples wherever we go. Amen. The Band the Great Commission is going to require some things from us. It's going to take us as a church family intentionally pouring into each other's lives, spending time with each other. Praise God for the model of that already. How many people are, are, are getting together, talking about the Lord, encouraging one another, knowing one another. Almost weekly I'm hearing positive gossip about this brother and this sister doing spiritual good to another brother or another sister. I love that. Talk about those kind of things. Not to boast in yourself or to boast in others, but to boast in the fact that the Lord is causing us to do something that we normally wouldn't do. Right? We don't know each other naturally, not, not most of us, but we're involved by God's supernatural spirit and are helping each other grow in supernatural ways. Amen. Praise the Lord for your dedication to doing that. Continue to persevere with, you, with each other through trials and hardships and heartache and through the messiness of sin and the Troubles and temptations of sin. It's going to take us proclaiming the gospel to one another. Teaching one another to obey Jesus both in corporate gatherings and in the comfortable quarters of each other's homes. Mm. Practically, this might mean that you consider moving from where you live now and moving closer to the church. Or moving closer to other members of our church. So that you can more easily care for and provide for and learn from each other. So that you can more easily do what Jesus has commanded us to do to, to make disciples of each other. Right? Confident the Great Commission is going to require us to pursue our neighbors. You know, just as God has intentionally placed you in this church, he has intentionally placed this church in this community. To be a beacon of hope and of light. Amen. I mean, people are not banging down our door to come in. Uh, we, we don't have services that people are really longing for. 
we, we were at uh, Sister Z's house, Diana's house, I think it was last summer, and uh, uh, for David's birthday party, and, and two neighbors from the, from the neighborhood, David's friends, moms, were talking about the church they go to, and uh, they the church, which I'm not going to name, and uh, they were saying, um, one lady was like, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, uh, man, my pastor, he, they, they stay looking out for people. A couple weeks ago, during service, he was like, everybody who needed a new car, raise your hand. You can imagine, pro folks like, they probably got new cars. They're still like, hey, I'll take one if you got one, right? And she said, right there on the spot, they had enough money to, to, to I think, buy like six cars for people. We can't compete with that, right? You come to Temple Hills and we preaching the minor prophets or something, right? I'm telling people from the pulpit, like, as we plaster paint, you don't have to give, right? And we have nothing really to give you. Except we have everything to give. All right, all right. But people don't know they need it. So we got to go out and waken their senses that you need something better than a car. All right. You need new life in Christ, and we have it to give. And so we got to go pursue. Right? And so that means we have to take some losses, too. Look, I'll feed some people some burgers. I'll get taken advantage of for a few dollars if I get to talk about the thing that has eternal value. All right. We might take some losses on the chin, right? Yeah, people want to misuse us and mistreat us. It's okay. They did that to Jesus. Yeah. All right. Right? And Jesus' mistreatment led to other salvation. So let's go pursue this neighborhood. Let, let, let's go invade Temple Hills Baptist Church with a gospel that they need. Spread the aroma of Christ. People invading the streets all the time. They invade the streets with all kinds of drugs and all kinds of advertisements for nonsense. We need to go invade our community in a loving way with the only gospel that saves. Mm. Let's pursue our neighborhoods. Join with Chris and Stephanie as they organize the back to school event in uh, August. Um, join in, 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 in doing prayer walks in our neighborhood. Going to meet neighbors and pass out flyers and pray together. Miss Maria got a flyer from a couple weeks ago and started visiting. Let's go do that. There are people in our neighborhood who would love to hear about Jesus. There are some who don't want to know Jesus, but some were you at one point. Right. You didn't want nothing to do with the Lord, and somebody kept pounding. Your parent, your grandparents, some uncle, some aunt. Let's go pound. Pound this pavement and preach Christ and see what he does in this neighborhood. Fulfilling the Great Commission is going to require us praying for and partnering with other churches. What we can't do alone, the Lord might have us join with other churches to do. Whether that's training or collaborating with other churches on mission trips. The, the, the trip I went to Central Asia with last week, last year was with a sister church, Third Avenue. Right? We, we ain't got to do it alone. right? Again, we're not long rangers. We might partner with other churches all around the country through our giving to the SBC or through the, the new organization we just joined, ACME. Right? We want to be super creative to get this gospel out to every corner right. of the planet, to make disciples of all the nations. The Fulfilling the Great Commission is going to require us planting other churches. You might look around like, you need to work on this own little church first, right? <laughs> we barely got enough folks to survive. But, but you know, just 70 years ago, when our church was founded in 2053, oh, 1953. Tell me about church bad uh, 70 years ago, a, a small group of members, and it was a small group of people, not many of them, 
Who remembers a, a Fountain Memorial Baptist Church in Southeast D.C.? They lived here in Temple Hills. And they had big plans. They wanted to see a church planted in their neighborhood. And so that small group of people started praying. Lord, would you, would you have a church raised up near us? And as the Lord often does, he answered their prayer. And now this church exists 70 years later off the prayers and efforts of a faithful few. And how many disciples have been made throughout those 70, 70 years? I mean, you look through the history records of Timothy Hills Baptist Church, you'll see a lot of mess. <laughs> a lot of mess. But you also see a lot of ministry. Right? People are, are being made into the image of Christ. They're being transformed. They're being sanctified. I mean, even now, 70 years later, off those faithful few's efforts, 70 years later, we are growing together in God's word. We, this current group, is growing in commitment and care for one another. As we continue to build deep roots, we want to be branching out. So let's pray. Just like that first group did 70 years ago, let's pray and let's plan over the next few years to see if the Lord might use this little faithful few to send out some of our best people to go plant or revitalize churches somewhere else. Whether that's in PG County, where there's a dearth of gospel preaching churches, or whether that's in ungentrified and unhip parts of D.C. where nobody really want to be at. Everybody will move there when the coffee shop comes. Right? Don't nobody want to move there when the crime is happening. You know, Christians are going to have to stomach some hard situations, right? I mean, the developers do. The developers go into a hard area of like, we're staying to this, it, it flips. Well, Christians got to do some, see some, the Lord develops some things. Go into some hard places and trust that the Lord will flip some things around. It might mean us planting churches in other parts of the country where people have written them off as dark. It might mean us planting churches in some part of the country where there is currently no church there. Among the people group where Christ is not named and known and the gospel is not named. Let's so consider that as we sit here this morning, there's roughly three billion people in the world. That's a lot of people. Three billion people in the world who have never heard of Christ and who are descending into an eternity in hell without him. And there's still hundreds of millions more who have heard of him, but who have a faulty understanding of him. They're trusting in a politically partisan Jesus. They're trusting in some progressive Jesus who just endorses any lifestyle and every belief system. Still others are trusting in some kind of prosperity Jesus who is simply a pathway to find hope and happiness in health and wealth. But we have the privilege of proclaiming the biblical Jesus yes. and of promoting the best news in all the world to all the world. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save yes. sinners and make disciples of him. In 2093, 70 years from now, I wonder will there be another healthy church that exists in some community? In some country, among some people group, because of us faithful members of Temple Hills Baptist Church, obeying Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. Friends, this is the church's mission. This is our church's mission. 
And we can gladly and wholeheartedly invest and spend and pour out our lives in pursuing this mission because we have this sweet, sweet promise from the Lord mm. at the end of verse 20. Yes. You might feel defeated. Oh, I don't have enough. I can't do enough. Right? This promise, behold, I am with you. Yes. Always. Mm. Even to the end of the age. So go. Wherever you go, make disciples of Jesus because Jesus Christ is with you doing the work that only he can do. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift to be saved and the gift to be sent. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the powerful news of Christ crucified and risen that you granted us. The way that you save people and strengthen people by that word. And Lord, we pray that you would propel us in places that we perhaps normally wouldn't go. Propel us to talk to people in our family and in our communities that we normally wouldn't talk to. Trusting that all authority has been given to Christ. That Satan doesn't rule over anything. He might roam the earth, but he doesn't rule a square inch of it. And so Lord, help us go and testify of Christ. So be disciples of him and make disciples of him. To his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.